What's up, y'all? Wes Rucker from Go Vols 24-7 and Jake Rowe from Dogs 24-7 coming to you live here on a Wednesday afternoon, live for us, but but not necessarily live for y'all out there. I suppose it's live wherever you are listening, but we're doing something a little bit different with this one. We're, we're having a having a good time with this. We, we thought about this, Jake, and we thought, you know what? We both do podcasts. Let's just do one together since Tennessee and Georgia are playing each other this week. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I always love uh, a little West Rucker action over at the Dogs 247 Junkyard, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and uh, I expect to, uh, to have some fun talking about this game and, and, you know, a rivalry, a rivalry that's even going into the, going into the game uh, for the first time since after it ended in 1992. So kind of a lot at stake, two programs, you know, seemingly trending in different directions for this season. Only a lot's been said, and it should be a lot of fun to talk about it. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy stopping by the. Uh, there's a couple boards. the The Alabama board and the Georgia board are a couple boards. I always, I always like stopping by and uh, having a good time with the people. So, and I think that might be because they've both been beating Tennessee a lot lately. That's probably why they enjoy. <laughs> probably why they enjoy me heading over there. Uh, but it's good times. And Jake always comes over to our board too and takes the bullets from the people on the checkerboard. So we thought it, it would be fun to kind of do this together. And and Jake, you know th- this game. Um, we're going to get to this a little bit later. This game tends to be fun sometimes when we don't necessarily expect it to be fun. Um, but one of the reasons we don't expect this to be very fun necessarily this season is because these two programs are in completely opposite places right now. Tennessee 1-3, and 0-1. Oh in SEC play, Georgia 4-0, 1-0 in the SEC. Uh, just beat Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. And uh, look like they're trying to kind of close that gap with Bama and Clemson toward the top of college football's pecking order or totem pole. And, and here with Tennessee, it's the other end. So just two different teams, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of – it's a little bit shocking to me. And and at least Tennessee didn't kind of uh, – I don't want to say break my heart, but at least they didn't uh, betray my confidence uh, down the road because I came into the season just thinking year two – Jeremy Pruitt, know how good of a coach that guy is. Uh, I know Kevin Sher, Tracy Rocker, uh, Will Friend, all of those guys. Is I, I think sometimes the thing that fans tend to kind of lose sight of is the fact that college football is is tough. It, it's tough, and and good coaches, just like good players, have bad games. Good coaches have bad games, bad seasons, and. And I think that's something Tennessee's kind of experiencing a little bit right now. And, and they don't necessarily have the talent level to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and lay an egg against Georgia State and still walk away and live to tell about it. And, and you know, that's just kind of what they're dealing with right now. And, and Georgia's on the opposite end of that. Georgia was kind of in that spot, I think, a little bit in 2016, maybe not quite to this level. And, and Georgia's sitting here now 4-0 expecting to be in the college football playoff discussion although it's gotten really weird after Georgia was off a week and some teams had really good games that uh that that it's almost like Georgia slipped a spot or two in a lot of people's minds but but it is what it is and this is a long season and and Tennessee's got some time to rebound and then feel a lot better about it and they got a chance to start doing it on Saturday I will say that that last season Tennessee coming off its bye week uh, came out and was a totally different team. Um, now, now things went south at the very end. Their, their lack of depth was a big problem down the stretch. But when they came off of that bye right there, boom, they went to Auburn and won the next week and kind of shocked everybody because that was their first win over an SEC 
West team in a while, and it was on the road against a ranked team. Now, I think we both have covered enough games at Auburn, Jake, to know that Auburn at night and Auburn during the day are two completely different things. Um, but but Auburn at night can can be a, can can be a tough place to go play, and and that was that that was that was a different game for Tennessee. That was a big time performance. But I think the reason why, and I'll speak on Georgia first. I I, I think that this Georgia football program right now, to me, is kind of exactly where people have thought Georgia needed to be for a long time and where Georgia would be if it kind of made the right hire. If it got kind of a ruthless, you know, ruthless coach, relentless recruiter, if the, if Georgia ever got someone in that program who really demanded excellence from that place in every way, that everything else was put in place a long time ago for them to really be a monster program. And it's not like they, they're not traditionally a good program. They're traditionally a really good program. You know, they, they've won 800-plus games, you know, won a bunch of SEC championships, a couple of national titles. They've been there. They've been in the mix for a long time. But it just kind of felt like historically I viewed Georgia kind of the way I viewed Texas. Like, what – you're good, but why are you not better? What, what's what's missing there? And, and then you bring in a guy from that Nick Saban tree, a guy like Kirby Smart, and and he starts plugging in that that Bama formula in some ways, and it just works. And, and he takes over a team that had a had some talent in in there to begin with, and you know, and and and, and really kind of took it to the next level. And now this this Georgia program looks to me like the way it kind of always could have been, if that makes any sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you've had coaches kind of tease Georgia on that front. Uh, yeah, even Jim Donnan did a little bit with the way he recruited and some of the talent he left Mark Rick. And then Mark Rick was able to capitalize on, on a lot of that talent and give Georgia a really good stretch there uh, right, at, you know, right after the turn of the century and, and win a couple of SEC championships in a four-year span and, and really get it going, or I guess a five-year span, and, and really get it going. And then you know, he, he tapered off and, and kind of burned out, and I think that was pretty evident there at the end of his time at Georgia and how things ended up in Miami. Uh, but, but you're totally right on that, for sure. I mean, I think Kirby has brought a passion uh, to Georgia. He's, you know, at, at 40, uh, right, right around 40, whenever he took the Georgia head job, he, he's still a fairly young guy with a lot of energy, and, and like you said, that formula kind of plays a big role in that. And uh, he, he's done a fantastic job. And, and I think, Wes, one of the things that, that, he, that Georgia has benefited from, and listen, sometimes it's just like football, things oblong, and it, you never know how it's going yep. to bounce. But I think Kirby was standing there as he took over the Georgia program, and he's looking up, and there's, there are a bunch of different ropes. And some of those ropes he could pull, and he was going to get a bucket of water on his head, and some of the other ones he was going to pull, and and you know, a, a good quarterback fell out of the sky, and they made a really good evaluation on Jake Fromm, got him in just in the nick of time, and make a national championship game after their starting quarterback goes down the first quarter. Some of that, I don't want to call it luck, but some of that is is I think there's a luck element to it. I guess you should say a little bit of element of fortune, and he pulled a lot of the right strings. I mean, you know, you get Andrew Thomas in there to play right tackle uh, for an offensive line that had struggled the year before. And uh, you make some of the right hires. And, and I think Jim Chaney was one of them. Absolutely. I know some Georgia fans are going to disagree with me on that. But but I think Jim Chaney, with, with the talent that Georgia had in with Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, I think that was the kind of offensive coordinator they needed at the time. And, and, and I still think he'd be doing a great job at Georgia if he was still there. Uh, but, but pulling a lot of the right strings had had something to do with that, and, and I don't say that's all skill. I think Kirby would be the first to admit that the margin of 
of error between, or might not necessarily margin of error, but the margin of difference between one recruit and the other and how a guy pans out and how one doesn't is often really slim and they got the right guys at the right time and and they've capitalized on that by putting a couple really good seasons together and look to be on the way uh for a third and you know you think about that and and just you talk about pulling the rope and and getting the right quarterback when you think about what what Fromm has done there are a couple of guys who are really early round draft picks you know there there's now some talk of fields being maybe uh, competing with a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, for the number one spot in next year's draft, which is just insane when you think about how talented Trevor Lawrence is. Um, but but you think about Fromm has had taken two potential what first round draft picks and, and basically sent them packing somewhere else to go play. I mean that you talk about an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback spot when you've got a guy good enough to take two. Uh, potential first round draft picks and have them transfer somewhere else and you still got some pretty decent options behind him you're living right at the quarterback spot and it just kind of to me shows the difference in sometimes I don't know if you want to call it it's probably more evaluation than it is luck but I'm sure there's a luck component to it but you know Tennessee's sitting there and and recruits a guy who's ranked the number one player at his position in Jared Garantano, and it just for whatever reason has not panned out the way anyone kind of thought it would. You know, he, he's he's had some really good moments, um, but right now, I hate to say it, but he's probably the, the the person most responsible for this team being one and three right now. If you talk about the players, so it, it's just kind of it, there is some luck involved, but also you just sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. Exactly, and and there there are so many different things that go into it. It's it like. Like you said, it's evaluation. It's finding the guy that you really want to feel confident in and being able to get him because that that's not a given either because if you think the guy's a no-brainer, you can bet somebody else thinks it too. And then there's just the whole development aspect of it. Does the guy continue to get better in your system or not? And and uh, that, that that's not just your system. That's any system. And uh, that that's something I feel like, uh, you know, Georgia really kind of, almost hit the jackpot on with Jake Fromm as they hit, they got a guy that, that, yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I mean, the guy's not, he's probably not quite six foot two. He's not a great athlete as far as being a runner. I still think he's a really good athlete. He's just not going to scare you with his legs. He's, he can be opportunistic in that way. But but more than anything, he's just a worker. And you've got coaches saying, hey, he's in the film room when I get there. He's asking for more work to do. He's an overachiever in that way. And, and I think Georgia got, once again, the right guy at the right time. And, and I think that was absolutely huge to, to where this program is at right now. The big reason why Georgia's 4-0, the stats don't show it, but, but the kid's coming off probably one of his better games against Notre Dame uh, where, you know, if, he, if he's dealing with a veteran – uh, talented receiving core like like Clemson and Alabama are dealing with, you're probably talking about 280 yards and three or four touchdowns uh, in, instead of the 187 and one like he had against uh, Notre Dame. But but uh, it, right guy, right time, right culture. Uh, it, it's kind of all gone right for Kirby thus far. And and you know that tends to happen for guys who are good at what they do. And and you know I, I'm I'm of the belief that Kirby is good at what he does. Will he get over the hump? I don't think anybody knows that for sure. But uh, you're you're in a spot where a lot of teams want to be, and that's at the yeah, at the base of the hump, where where basically it's right in front of you, and and that's all there is left to do. Yeah, and you compare that to you know what you said about Fromm. It's amazing how how parallel 
these things go for a while and then they just go the other direction because Garantano is someone who just lives in the football complex. He lives for football. He loves it. He goes to camps all over the place. Uh, he, he, when you watch him throw the ball, it is an absolutely beautiful ball that he throws and he's got a cannon for an arm can make any throw. He's obviously a good athlete. Uh, everything, including the work ethic is there. But it's like when you start putting together a math equation, you go two plus two plus two equals like five. Something just doesn't add up. And, and I think a lot of that in, in some ways is, is just kind of a confidence issue that, that permeates the entire Tennessee program right now. And, and that's what leads me to what I'm about to ask you, Jake, is, is sort of the difference in covering a team that's 4-0 and a team that's 1-3. and And I remember... I remember covering the days we were laughing about this before we hit the record button that, that, you know, you, you were talking about how you've covered some 10 win teams that felt like they were winning five games just because of what the expectations were and they weren't winning as pretty as people thought. And, you know, it's been a while. I remember those days too. I remember, I remember times when Tennessee won 10 games and people were not thrilled. Uh, and, and just the difference now in a program where you're covering a team that's four. No, cause I imagine that, it's probably not the same, quite the same as it is like Alabama right now with Saban talking about the rat poison. But I imagine there's some element of that going on right now at Georgia. And at Tennessee, you've got a coaching staff and people who are trying to keep everyone from players to fans to everybody invested in what they're doing. Whereas at Georgia, that's not an issue, I imagine. The issue is probably how do you keep guys focused on doing what they need to do to kind of close that gap between the top two, not kind of just be happy with where they are. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and, you know, you, especially from, but from covering it, you know, the, the whole covering aspect is I can tell you this, Wes, it's, it, Georgia started off four and the last three seasons and it's been different each season. It, it was that's pretty incredible. Like 2017 is euphoria. I mean, it was, it was uh, cause I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Georgia beat Notre Dame, got a close win at Notre Dame, came home and beat Samford, and then destroyed Mississippi State, a ranked Mississippi State team in week four. And I, like, like I said, absolute euphoria. I mean, pie in the sky, nobody was stopping this team, that type of thing. And that team ended up being really, really good and had a chance to win a national championship last year. I think folks kind of look at Georgia as this unstoppable team at that point. Uh, not necessarily euphoria, but just a ton of confidence and and uh, not necessarily uh, excitement-driven confidence, but confidence just, I mean, going into that, that LSU game, I remember uh, having some opinions about that game on where LSU could keep it close, and Georgia fans weren't hearing it, man. They, they just were not going to hear it because Georgia was going to roll into Baton Rouge and roll right over LSU. And I'm not saying that to say, hey, I told you so, because I thought Georgia was going to win that game too. But but it, it's, it was it was just a different thing. And then now you're coming off a win against Notre Dame, 23-17, when the Bulldogs were two touchdown favorites. And uh, it, the offense struggled. They made a lot of mistakes in that game, a couple of shank punts. Offense struggled in the first half. And and Notre Dame played really well. You know, you and I did a Q&A, and I talked about how, you know, man, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, maybe maybe they really are geniuses because they make, they'll go out there and make themselves look almost do, like doofuses yep. trying yep. to say, say, hey, nobody loves us, nobody respects us, that's fine, we'll just keep doing what we do whenever they're the best of the best and the gold standard in their respective elements of the sport. And, and uh, you know, Notre Dame felt disrespected 
for real in that game, or, or it was organic, and and uh, it it really showed. Notre Dame didn't miss tackles. They played hard, and, and they gave Georgia all it could handle uh, for about three and a half quarters. And then you know Georgia was able to kind of pull away a little bit. Notre Dame scored late, and and then Georgia had to kind of hold on. But ultimately, uh, Georgia wore them down and, and and won that game. But but it's almost been like the last two weeks that that almost like that game was a loss. I mean, to to some. And, uh, and, and you know how those you know, folks can do on Twitter and on your, on your message board is, you know, the folks who can kind of turn wins into losses. And, and we've had some of that. And, and so I think folks may be questioning this Georgia team because of the nature of that victory a little bit more so than they have the past two uh, 0-4 teams. Yeah, I'm sorry, 4-0 teams. And, and I know that it, as far as it goes with media, I mean, you know, Jake, there are – just about every team in the SEC has a pretty large um, media throng that follows it everywhere it goes. Tennessee and Georgia are two of the bigger ones still. And, and you know that, that when things are going well, it, it's not so bad. But when things are, are going bad, uh, it, it's not fun. Uh, you get a bunch of guys who just kind of it, – it's awkward. People don't want to talk. It's – you know, and I know Claude down there at Georgia has always done such a great job of keeping people in line and, and doing all that anyway and, and getting everybody talking anyway. But but it's – it's um it it's it's not fun. It's not fun when you cover a team that uh that, that that's that's struggling. You know they're looking for anything positive uh, that they can say publicly. They're looking for anything they can say um, th- that will kind of you know you're trying to find that right line of what am I saying that makes this okay without it sounding like an excuse. How can I say that this team can go on and improve and do good things without sounding ridiculous, you know, and, and you have to start thinking about everything. You know, I look more of a specific example to that. When, when you're four and oh, and you, and the same question comes to a player three times in three minutes during a media scrum, because you got different people joining oh, yeah. the conversation at different times, they kind of smile and answer the question three times. You do that to a one and three team and that player, you can tell, is just he's hacked off, man. He's done with it. He's done at especially if it's a question about what do you guys need to do better or why are you where you are, things of, of that nature. They it just takes on a completely different personality and, and you you almost feel for the guy. If if you're the kind of Oh yeah, we're all humans. Yeah. For sure. If you're the kind of reporter that that is sitting there and you're engaged in the conversation, it's not just an interview and, and you're and I think the good ones do it that way because you can you get more interesting stuff not necessarily gotcha type quotes not at all gotcha type quotes but you get a guy to kind of let his guard down a little bit and be honest for a minute you kind of have to get in that conversation mode and you're sitting there uh trying to be a part of that whole thing with several other reporters and then a kid gets asked that question multiple times and and you you feel for him man because you know that hey if they could just flip the script they would they're playing hard they're doing everything they can uh, it's just not going their way because there's a lot more that goes to it than one guy doing his job. It takes 11 doing their job and doing it really well to to win a football game. And I really don't care who you're playing against. If, if you're going to meet your standard, you've all got to do it really well. And and, and that's kind of what these guys have to deal with. Yeah, and it seems like for in Tennessee's case, uh, the longer this stuff goes on over the years, the more difficult it becomes to kind of to kind of get get squashed and and. What I mean by that is, you know, I wrote about this earlier this week on our side at GoBoss 24-7 that, you know, when Kirby Smart took over Georgia, they had a culture to change. And you could tell that first season he was at Georgia, they were trying to change that culture. And and that, you know, there were some butting heads because he and Mark Richter are completely two different kinds of human beings. 
But, and I think this made it more difficult for him to an extent, Georgia had won doing it Rick's way. Now, maybe not as much as they should have at times, but they still won much more than they lost. And so you had players who were really invested in what they were doing. And, and I think uh, when Rick left Georgia, it was a lot like when, when Fulmer left Tennessee. It felt like a father figure kind of leaving a program and, and leaving some of these players. And, you know, so I think you had a guy who wanted to come in and say, listen, what you did uh, was okay. It, it was not good enough. And so there probably was some resistance there. But those players had winning personalities. They had been a part of 10-win teams. They had, they had done some really good things <clears throat> during, during their college career. Tennessee uh, had not had anything like that. Uh, Tennessee's last 10-win uh, season was 12 years ago. And it's, it seems crazy to say that, um, but that's the truth. And so you had guys who had no idea how to win. Now, some of them were in, you know, were big time prospects. Some of them were in some big time signing classes, um, but uh, they had not won at a high level in college. I'll put it this way. Butch Jones was at Tennessee for five years, twice, twice. He had the best roster in the East, and he didn't win at either time. And the other three years, they were lucky to get to a bowl game if they did at all. So that was sort of the culture. And then before that, you had the, the Dooley years, which everyone remembers, uh, not for the right reasons. Uh, and then you had the Kiffin turmoil the year before that. So it's, it's just it's been a mess there for a while. And you're having to put pieces together and teach guys what it's like to win. It's like if a trying to you know if the dog catches the car what does he do and, and Tennessee does some things late in games that are just so indicative of a program that doesn't know how to win you know they'll they'll just they'll switch off they'll 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 make the most anti-clutch moments you've ever seen they'll just have breakdowns um, they won't run the clock out and get the last first down to kind of ice a game Georgia I don't think that was as much of an issue because they had still won recently and I think that made things a little bit simpler for, for Kirby Smart. Now, he's done an excellent job with it. Um, but I, I think comparing the two programs when those two coaches got there, and, and Jake, you might feel totally differently about this, um, but I don't think it's the same thing at all. It's, it's definitely not, Wes. And, and I look back at the end of the 2015 season, at the end of Rick's season and uh, Rick's final season in Athens, Georgia lost to Florida. In, in Jacksonville, something they've done a lot under the previous three co- or the pre yeah the previous three coaches before Kirby, and uh, they went on a five game winning streak the end of season, and they scratched and clawed and found ways to win those games. Won them ugly, uh, won an ugly game against Georgia Southern, and I think that directly resulted in some of the wins Georgia was able to get the next season. It, Kirby's Kirby's the talent level wasn't where he wanted it. Uh, the the roster wasn't where he wanted it. But Georgia scratched out a win against North Carolina in the opener, and then it went in scratched it went out against Nickel State. I mean, listen, you want to talk about how ugly Georgia State is? Imagine if Georgia had lost to Nickel State. Yeah. I mean, an FCS program that would have been historic. And and Georgia scratched and clawed, found a way to win that one, found a way to beat Missouri a week later, and then. Uh, uh, eventually got their pants beat off by Ole Miss and, and really lost a, uh, just a gut-wrencher to Tennessee that year and, and in a game that, to be honest with you, could draw some parallels between this year and I think Georgia's this year is better than that Tennessee team and this Tennessee team may not quite be as good as that Georgia team, but uh, in terms of roster, I don't think Georgia 
And the way they were playing, Georgia had any business really being in that game and jumping all over Tennessee like they did. But right. teams coming true. off, you know, with a team with their back against the wall, you never know what can happen. So I, I'm with you on that. I definitely think that Georgia had some they had they had they had found a way to win ball games previously in their career, the core that team had. And, and I think that definitely paid off for Georgia the very next season. And and it carried over when when Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle decided to come back for their senior year. In terms of, of, of Jake, before we go to break here, what 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 has Kirby Smart done differently? And I know you've probably said this a bunch, but the Georgia fans probably won't mind hearing this again because hey, it's a reminder of why you're good. And and for the Tennessee fans listening to this, they might be like, okay, maybe this sounds like some of the stuff Pruitt's trying to do. Because um, I know for a fact those guys came from the same tree. Uh, those guys occasionally butt heads on the re- recruiting trail and stuff with each other, but they do have a lot of similarities. Uh, they both have same the same you know kind of similar background. What is it that that Kirby Smart did at Georgia? that really kind of helped that program take that next step? It was, I think first and foremost, it was, uh, and this is completely throwing recruiting out the window because obviously that's, that's one huge one and everybody wants to recruit at a high level. And, and, you know, Kirby took that up several notches when, when he arrived at Georgia. Uh, But, but I think the first thing was attention to detail. I think just getting guys to understand that, Hey, doing, Doing this right five out of six times is not good enough. You've got to practice it right six out of six times. And the attention to detail, the the, the focus, I think, was huge. Uh, I think physical, more physical practices, kind of turning practice into – and you've heard some great coaches talk about this, how practices are supposed to be extremely difficult and games are supposed to be fun. Yep. And, and I think Kirby kind of took that mentality – into it and and really started to make Tuesday and Wednesday practices. You know, I heard from a couple of sources during that first season that that Georgia was, I mean, they were kind of wearing down as a team at times because of how hard they were going at it on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then the very next season, it it became an asset. So uh, I think those are the two main things. And then then ultimately, uh, like I said, it it came down to the recruiting and up in the talent level and up in the level of competition. I think – if you're looking at any program, the number one thing is, is yeah, you want to stock it with talented players, but stocking it with talented players, the the effect that comes with that is what's most important, and and it's the competition because guys get so much better when they know they've got to practice really well four or five days this week, however many times that they go live before they get to the walkthrough. And uh, they've got to practice extremely well to hold on to their spot. And that goes for preseason camp. That goes for spring drills. That goes for everything. And uh, and all of that kind of came into play at Georgia. And, and Kirby just took it all to another level. That's a really, really, really good point, Jake. And I, and I think that's something that – that Tennessee right now, uh, you hear Jeremy Pruitt say this almost every time he speaks with us, it is just the need for more competition for guys. You know, you know, like, would, for instance, you could argue last season that, that Garantano was better because he had a guy like Keller Christ who came in as a graduate transfer, a former starter at Stanford, a guy who was pushing him, and a guy who he knew he had to perform pretty well or he was going to lose that job because Chris could come in and take the job. 
you know, this year they had a different way to look at it because Garantano was one of the, the most experienced guys on the team. Uh, he was a guy who, you know, had kind of emerged as a leader in the team, and he only had two freshmen behind him, and neither of those guys was ready to play. Maybe, and I'm not saying that that made him slack off at all, but maybe it's just it takes that little bit of something away from you that that makes you have to be your best every day. And, and I know for a fact that Tennessee in some positions, like going into this game against Georgia – uh, Tennessee is is really going to have um, three inside linebackers who are really inside linebackers who are scholarship guys who will be available to play in that game. Uh, the other guys behind that are a guy who was playing running back a couple weeks ago uh, and a guy who uh, was playing safety a couple weeks ago. And, and so, and and the third guy of those three is JJ Peterson, who has not kind of gotten himself in shape and learned the defense enough and hasn't kind of started making his mark yet on the program. So you're just a, you know, as good as they are with Patuli and Toa Toa, and those guys are both really, really good football players. Something happens to either one of them. Well, where are you now? You know, if something happens to Daryl Taylor, where are you there? You know, if something happens to um, Bryce Thompson, we've seen where they are there when he's not out there. So it just, it matters so much. I mean, you know, you know, God forbid something happens to either Jawan Jennings or Marquez Calloway. You know, what what are they doing there? Uh, it, and it's just it's different. Whereas Georgia, I'm I'm starting to look at this depth chart here, and and I remember some of these guys from recruiting, and you see them every day, so you would know more than me. But I see some of those names on like the third team and fourth team on Georgia's depth chart, and I go, you know, that's still a pretty good football player. I remember that guy. That's a good football player. That guy play at Tennessee right now, and they have that every single day on the practice field and if they want to get to where um, if they want to get that next step and, and go you know finish the drill against Bama and, and if they want to go out there and you know maybe beat a team like Clemson to, to do that you're going to have to have those guys because that's how many guys they have is what it seems like to me I mean it just seems like they have more options no doubt about it when you combine the two things when you combine the whole hey uh, practice is really hard and not only is it really hard, but you can't relax because there's somebody right there to take your job that's plenty good enough to take it because if they practice well and you don't, then you've kind of got a recipe for, for a guy getting better at a rapid rate and, and staying uh, uh, on that same trajectory for, for a while. And, and that's – listen, man, that's why Alabama has gotten – that's why you've seen so many Alabama players. I had somebody ask me this a while back, and I couldn't find an answer. How many Alabama players have you seen outplay their college performance at the NFL? And they're, I, I'd have a hard time finding a guy. I'd yeah. have a hard time finding a guy like, oh, man, they found this fourth-round pick out of Alabama, and he didn't do much in college, but he was great in the NFL. You just don't see it because they get so much out of those kids, and the competition is, is what makes it happen. And Tennessee's had guys who – you know, like uh, Justin Coleman, who were just okay players in college, um, and then they go and he's now one of the highest paid nickels in the NFL. So <laughs> I mean, you know, you see this stuff and you go, hmm, yeah, it 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 kind of does make you wonder. Tell you what, Jake, let's uh, let's take a break, let's pay some bills, let's listen to some products and services and in-house ads and all that good jazz, and let's come back and we'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, about the talent gap between these two teams and and, and whether it's so much so that that Saturday will not be a good game or uh is this a way that this this could be a fun game so I don't know how y'all throw it to uh break Jake on your podcast I don't remember off the top of my head but I know we say hashtag ad
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to a, 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 a Go Vols 24-7 and Dogs 24-7 podcast. Is this like our mixtape, Jake Rowe? Is that what this it, is? Is it, this like what a, it is. Is this the Rucker Row mixtape? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's it a... It kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit, it's a Rucker co- Row mixtape. Yeah, you know, because we're right there at uh, Rucker Row. It kind of sounds like it, it's like Rucker Park, but, you know, it's like we're it's like we're in the streets of Harlem here. Oh, I, I oh. like it. Yeah, it, it, Rucker Row goes better. Because our, our accents... Uh, you know, do very much sound like Harlem. I think. That, that, yeah, that, that's absolutely. The, I will say this uh, too, and I'm not just saying this because Jake's on with us right now, uh, and, and I'm with Jake on his podcast too. Jake and Rusty are my favorite duo in our entire network because they're the nicest guys and they have the best accent combination in the league. Rusty Manzel and Jake Rowe, the the accents are just they're perfect, man. They're perfect. You know, it's like talking to my own cousins. This is fantastic. I South love this stuff. South Georgia represent, man. South Georgia represent. There you go. And I got, I've got family. I can't say that for Rusty though. He's a he's a Romite, but ah, well, uh, I got I, I got family in uh, Jessup and St. Simons, so uh, that, I think that's South Georgia too. I can. It's my neck of the woods for sure. I can claim I can claim them, folk. Jake, here's the thing about this game. We know right now Tennessee is one and three, zero one in the SEC. We know Georgia is 4-0 and 1-0 in the SEC, and we know Georgia uh, already took a pretty good punch from Notre Dame and ended up winning that game, uh, whereas Tennessee, well, it, it, it lost to Georgia State and BYU. So, so, so let's, 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 let's say what this is. These are two teams that are not on the same playing field right now. However, when you look at this Tennessee-Georgia rivalry, and I can say this from Tennessee's point of view, Tennessee – does not get intimidated by Georgia. And what I mean by that is anyone who knows the history of the Tennessee-Florida rivalry knows that much like the Kentucky-Tennessee rivalry, one of those teams sees the other team's helmet and just starts making mistakes. And Tennessee against Florida makes mistakes that it will not make the rest of the season. Uh, And I don't know why, um, but it just it's been that way forever, ever since Sprayer got to Florida, and it just is what it is. But Tennessee against Georgia – even when Georgia has had some really, really good football teams, Tennessee's been able to score some upsets in this series and been able to um, to win some games in this series uh, when it probably wasn't the best team on the field. And, and I think, conversely, Georgia has done the same thing to Tennessee a couple times when Tennessee had the better team. There have been some unbelievable football games in this series. I mean, there was a three- or four-year stretch there where it seemed like every year we were saying, well, this they can't play a better one than that one. And then, by God, the next year they went out and they played a better game than the one before. It's something about this series that often creates good games. Even last year, I know the final was what thirty-eight twelve, but that was that was a you know 
still kind of a game early in the fourth quarter, and it really shouldn't have been. So is there any hope right now if you're Tennessee, and is there any concern if you're Georgia that Saturday could be a closer game than we think? Uh, if – I'm going to go with the if here. If Georgia goes out and plays really well, I, I don't see it. And, and that's just based off what I've seen from Tennessee for four games. It, that's not saying – I mean, listen, if Tennessee comes out and, and it was just a handful of issues that they had to get worked out and they got those worked out during the bye week, then who knows? But if the Tennessee team that shows up for the first four weeks shows up against Georgia and Georgia plays reasonably well, then no. But, you know, if Georgia goes out there, goes to Knoxville, makes a bunch of mistakes um, and, and does – kind of what it what it has done in some games mainly against SEC West opponents on the road uh, then then it, yeah Tennessee can hang around in this thing I, I, I don't see Tennessee winning it and and I think that I don't I don't say that uh, to to sound like man I think this Georgia team is unbeatable I just I think that Georgia is just a little too deep and a little too further along in its process uh, for for Tennessee to to beat them over a four quarter stretch. But I could see it being a situation where I've got a mess on my hands at, at the Dogs 24-7 junkyard uh, at halftime and, and it being, you know, 13-10 or, or 17-10 or something like that. But, and I think you're on the same page as far as this goes, I could also see a situation where, you know, Georgia fans are popping bottles at halftime at 24-0 or, or, or 21-0 or something like that. And, and, and this one's kind of in hand. So it, it's one of those things where, I, you know, obviously I tend to think Georgia's going to win and, and, and win pretty handily. I, I think that, you know, giving up, you know, giving up 25 points on the road is, is you know, laying 25 on the road is, is pretty hard. But, uh, you know, I think it's doable for Georgia. Uh, but I'll say this, Wes, I think this is one of those things where, uh, Tennessee fans can have a little bit of an imp- impact on the outcome, and it's not from a crowd noise standpoint. But if they let Georgia do what Georgia fans have kind of, you know, fancied themselves as, as becoming, and that's the kind of fan base that goes in and takes over opponent stadiums, Georgia gets 30,000, 40,000 people in, in Neyland Stadium on Saturday, and the players run out of the tunnel, and that's kind of what they see, and that's what they're greeted with. And I know they're taught to block all this out, but you said it earlier in the show, we're all humans. I think that might that might be a little bit of a a little bit of a shot to the shot to the kneecap right off the bat for for this Tennessee team and and that's somewhere where if if Tennessee fans can show up show support and and uh, give Georgia uh, you know get, keep Georgia fans out of that stadium they might be able to help their team at least get this thing started. Yeah, here's what I what I've noticed um, a, a little bit in terms of 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 the depth thing. I've said this for a few years now. I call what Bama does kind of the Bama boa, like a boa constrictor. Like you can sit there for for anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes and you can kind of keep that game somewhat maybe manageable. But sometime in the second half, uh, the dam is just going to burst and they're going to suffocate you. And then it's just going to happen. They're going to pop 70-yard run. They're going to get a pick six. They're going to do something that just really sticks a knife in and then you're dead and then they're just going to cut just kind of start swarming all over you. I, I that's why I think that when you look at the depth difference in these two teams, I I can and in, in a second I'll lay out the reasons why I think Tennessee has a chance if it does what it needs to do 
in order to keep this respectable for a while. But when I look at it, just the difference, I, I look at some of those second team names for Tennessee and I go, no, they, they don't, they don't really want to rely on that guy yet. And I look at third and fourth team guys at Georgia and I say, you know what? Just about everybody they're bringing on that travel squad is probably going to be somebody who's capable of hurting Tennessee. And, and that's why if the game is close, you know, because Georgia can probably go out there with its second team units, um, you know, can rotate a lot on defense and offense. They can do a lot of things in the first half that keep those guys, those those prime guys, fresh for the second half. And, and that's where Tennessee could really have some problems because, as I said earlier, Tennessee's got two really good inside linebackers. Um, but, but behind that, uh, it, it's crickets right now a little bit. And up front, you know, everyone knows they're playing without Emmett Gooden, who's their best defensive lineman. And, you know, it, it, it matters when you're when you're when you don't have a lot of depth because you're 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 rotating guys in and out trying to keep good players out there. But you just don't have as many, you know, your, your defensive backs. So there's a couple of guys you just really can't take off the field. If you're Tennessee, there's four or five guys on defense that you really just can't take off the field. And, and for Georgia, I don't know how many guys you say that about. So that's why over the course of 60 minutes, even if Tennessee does what it did last year, which is find a way to make enough plays, you know, stay off the mat, don't get knocked out, you know, just, you know, make a couple big plays here and there, keep themselves in the game. I still think what happens is what happened last year, which is that Georgia realized, oh, crap, we have a fight on our hands, and then they buckled down and they ran away with it. And I could see that happening again Saturday. But I can make an argument – for, for why Tennessee could make this interesting um, for a while at least. And that is – it's a pretty simple one, honestly. If Tennessee gets better quarterback play, Tennessee's offense is better than you think. And, and what I mean by – I don't mean that necessarily for the Tennessee fans. I mean it for the Georgia fans and for other fans who who maybe just see Tennessee's scores. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're spending their Saturdays watching Georgia, um, but then they're just at tailgates and other stuff, and they're just kind of seeing scores from other games and highlights here and there. I'll tell you a couple things you might not know about Tennessee. One, Tennessee starts three five-star prospects on the offensive line, three of them. And all those guys, you know, a couple of them are freshmen, but all those guys are really big and really talented players. They're playing better up front uh, than they had been maybe last year or the year before. That's one thing. Number two, Tennessee has, I think, three future, at least three future NFL receivers. Uh, those are big physical guys. They don't really have a short kind of juke, make you miss, you know, kind of guy, a guy who creates space off the line. They've got kind of those big power forward types. That, that, that's what Jennings, Callaway, and Palmer are. And Palmer might be the most talented of the bunch. They've got an NFL tight end in Dominic Wood Anderson, who is the reason why Eli Wolf transferred to Georgia because he, he wasn't going to get as much playing time because that Wood Anderson guy, you may not know it if you don't look at the stat, if you just look at the stats, he's a really good football player. Um, and they've got two running backs in Ty Chandler and Eric Gray who are dangerous players and a third capable guy in Jordan. So the pieces are there on Tennessee's offense if the quarterback plays better. Now, will he? I don't know. You know, Will he even start? I, I don't know. They've kept that under wraps. Will it be Garantano? Will it be Maurer? I, I, don't, I don't know. Will it be both? I think probably. But Tennessee, if it gets good quarterback play, has enough pieces on offense to give you trouble. And you got to remember – that both of these teams are going against defenses that they see every day in practice, kind of stylistically, uh, schematically. So, so they know what the other is going to do. So that helps the offense a lot of times. So I, I think, and Jim Chaney's a guy who, who recently was the offensive coordinator at Georgia, so you know he's helping them out this week too. There are lots of reasons that you can look at this logically and say, you know what, 
Tennessee could go out there kneeling at night, have a little bit of juice, make this thing interesting for a while. Uh, but you've seen this with the Tennessee-Georgia game last year. You saw this with, with Georgia-Notre Dame last week, Jake, that, that this Georgia team, with a guy like Fromm pulling the strings, they can make the plays they need to make to win games. And on defense, they have the character to get stops when they need them. So I think that in the depth makes this, you know, if it goes to the fourth quarter, that's a huge edge for Georgia. Yeah, there, there's there's no question that that's where the, the, the advantage lies for Georgia, no matter what happens. Georgia brings its A, B, C, D game. The, the fact that, that this thing does have to go 60 minutes and, and there's no way to shorten it is the, is the reason why uh, I feel pretty confident that Georgia wins this game. I feel really confident that Georgia wins this game. And, and you know, that, the, it, it all starts with the good quarterback play. It really does. And, and that's where, you know, Tennessee gets the same quarterback play it has in the first three games. And I've watched it. I've watched Jim Chaney dial up shots like he did to Dominic Wood Anderson on the, uh, against Florida and, probably a 65 70 yard touchdown nobody was in the frame and Guarantano overthrows him you know that's that that kind of stuff is going to get you beat it's going to get you beat bad against Georgia it's going to get you beat bad against any top 10 team and so if 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 Jerry Guarantano doesn't play better than then or, or whoever's behind center for Tennessee then I don't like I said you know I, I guess I'm always cautious of sounding like this guy that that thinks the team that he covers is is just you know, infallible, and and I don't see a Georgia as that yet. I think Georgia can get there and, and get so much better as this season goes along, and it's going to have to if it wants to play in the college football playoff. And I think Kirby Smart would agree with that. But no, no chance, no chance. Tennessee has Tennessee has no chance this game if it gets the same quarterback play that it's gotten thus far. I'm with you though. I, I do think there's enough pride, there's enough familiarity. There's not going to be a element of surprise uh, on on either team's end, really, but especially you know on Georgia's end with all of those coaches knowing all of Georgia's personnel the way they do. Uh, I think that that that's something that 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 kind of probably works a little bit more in Tennessee's favor, but it's probably overrated to begin with. Uh, but but I think Tennessee can stay in it, and I think they can stay in it for a half. I I, I really don't even see uh, if I look at it, you know closely enough i don't necessarily know that that three full quarters is really in the cards for them i think something is you know right there early in the third quarter especially as good of a third quarter team as georgia has been this year and, and going back to last year uh, i don't i don't see tennessee hanging around all that long but it's it's all it's a road game in the sec uh, like you said three five stars on the offensive line some good players on defense if they're able to get the clock going in their favor a little bit georgia kind of gives them some openings early on with some mistakes anybody can hang with anybody in the SEC, and that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, uh, LSU scored a billion points on Vanderbilt but couldn't stop them, and and so that one that one even looked like a little bit of a game, and the talent disparity between LSU and Vanderbilt is greater than it is between Georgia and, and Tennessee, in my opinion. So uh, anything can happen in this league, and, and that's one thing that, 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 that I definitely think comes into play here is the fact that Tennessee's at home and Tennessee's got some talent, and and uh, if they could, if they got some things fixed, if they scratched the right edges during the bye week, there's no telling what could happen. Yeah, and I'll say this about Tennessee's defense too, um, and this is something that I, I think will add context to, to what Tennessee uh, went through the first couple weeks of the season. Um, Tennessee in pre, you know, Tennessee, I, I think um, 
if I've got my numbers correct, Tennessee played about 20 guys or so on, on defense last season. Mostly half of those guys uh, came back and half of them, um, were, you know, were, were going on to the NFL or whatever it is they're doing now that's not football, but they left the program. And, and then on top of that, um, Tennessee – goes into preseason camp knowing that Balaam Buchanan, uh, one of its many Georgia natives, the son of Ray Buchanan, uh, he's not able to play because he has a kind of an issue with his spinal column narrowing, and, and it's a, that's a scary deal. And so he can't play maybe this whole season or maybe ever again until they figure out what's going on there. So Tennessee had to deal with that loss. Um, and then Tennessee had the loss of Bryce Thompson, who is a, was a freshman All-American at corner and a guy who um, is a really, really good football player, future pro. Uh, he had an off-the-field incident, and he missed the first three weeks of the season. So right there you're taking off two of your best corners from, from that group. Emmett Gooden, uh, their best defensive lineman returning guy, he tears his ACL in camp, and he's out for the season. And, and then inside linebacker Daniel Batuli, who who is maybe their best player at that level of the defense, he misses the first two-plus weeks of the season because he has a knee scope. So Tennessee ha- goes into the Georgia State game without four uh, of its – you know, basically half of the guys that returned that were big-time guys for them. And, again, this is where the depth issue comes in. You say, how does Georgia State happen? Well, it shouldn't have happened. But when you look at all the losses Tennessee had to sustain in a short period of time on defense, that explains it a little bit. And why might things be different now? Well, because Batuli came back, Thompson came back. You know, that that has shored up the defense a little bit. And I think Florida only had about – 3.5 yards per rush and and Georgia's running game is a different animal because Swift is just a a monster and those O-linemen are awesome and and Florida's offensive line is is just kind of average so it's different but Tennessee has the pieces to go out there and and play okay defensively Uh, Tennessee does not have depth up front that it needs um, and it's got a lot of young guys there Uh, Tennessee's linebacker core though um Toa Toa is a freshman who is more mature than you would think. He's a very, very mature freshman. He and Batuli are a good combo there. And Daryl Taylor, I think Georgia fans probably remember him very well after last season's game. Oh, yeah, that's a key matchup. That's a huge matchup for Georgia is, is Isaiah Wilson against Daryl Taylor because uh, Daryl Taylor ate his lunch last year. I mean, it's just all there was to it. I think he had three sacks in that game, forced the fumble that Isaac Nauta was fortunate enough to pick up. Now it was Isaac Nauta who got beaten past protection on that play. And uh, he kind of had a, you know, he lived to tell about it afterward that he got beaten past protection so badly that his quarterback fumbled and he picked it up and rumbled for a touchdown with it. But yeah, that that's a key matchup in this game. I think the one thing that really matches up poorly for Tennessee in this game is you're, you're, you're talking to us about two inside linebackers, two 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 inside linebackers ready to play winning football. Yep, I think as the coaches like to say it uh, for for Tennessee, losing Emmett Gooden up front. Tennessee's not super deep up there, and Georgia's entire offensive philosophy, especially in the run game, is wear them down, yep. wear you down, and and that's where Georgia's going to go. And Georgia's going to lean on you with one of those Wisconsin looking offensive lines with. You know, a couple of 340-pounders, uh, well, if Solomon Kinley's healthy, uh, and, and he may not be, but Justin Schaefer is a 330-pounder himself and, and a junior and a good player. Uh, you got Cade Mays, Ben Cleveland rotating in there. They're just going to gonna lean on him, and, and that's the one thing that, that if I'm a Tennessee 
you know, guy, if I'm, if I'm somebody trying to figure out what Tennessee's going to do in that game, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest glaring matchup is not necessarily that Georgia's going to come out there and start gashing them for seven, eight, nine yards of carry right to start with, but if you're unable to move the chains on offense, a couple three and outs early on, the defense is out there while it's still, you know, kind of warm. It's not supposed to be super hot in Knoxville, but I mean, obviously anytime you're above 80 degrees, you can that, kind that, of get that'd be a nice change. It's, it's been, it's been, you know, we started, we started October here in late September. We've had like several 90 degree days in a row. So it'd be nice to, yeah. it'd be nice to be in the eighties or something on Saturday. Right. Sure. And so, but, but anytime you're dealing with that kind of heat and, and humidity of the South, and you know, you can kind of wear down a little bit, and then all of a sudden you wear down, one guy doesn't fit, and that's where DeAndre Swift really comes into play. One guy doesn't fit, and some backs they get 20. And DeAndre, depending on is how much how much field do you have? Yep. You know, do you have 80 yards because he can get that, yep. or you know, or do you have 25? He can get that too. Yeah, and, and I think one thing also uh, that Georgia will absolutely expose Tennessee in this game is um, this is kind of simple, but offenses that can run the ball and they can throw the ball, uh, they're much more difficult to stop than, than teams that really only do one of the two. Georgia has a great running attack. Georgia has a, a quarterback who's very capable of burning you with play action. They'll set plays up. They do a good job of that. And, and what they're going to do, I can tell you this, if, if you're Georgia right now, if you're a Georgia fan, Go to Tennessee's roster, circle these two numbers, 4 and 18. Uh, ten, Georgia is going to go after both of those guys, uh, and I think they're going to have some success, some success doing it. Warren Burrell is a freshman cornerback at Tennessee, true freshman number four. Uh, he is a, a good football player. He's going to be a very good football player. Tennessee was fortunate to get him. Um, but he's a freshman, and sometimes he makes some freshman mistakes, and I think Georgia can expose that. Uh, and then uh, I think all the struggles that Garantano has had has kind of masked the fact that Nigel Warriors had a really rough start to his senior season. And uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, Nigel Warriors is such a talented football player. He's a kid who works his tail off. He watches a lot of film. Uh, as the son of Dale Carter, the Tennessee program means something to him. Uh, he, he is a – he is a good player. He can be a good player, um, but he has really struggled in pass coverage, and he's taken some bad angles, and, and he's been beat a couple times. And And I think Georgia, uh, when they're looking at the way Theo Jackson's playing at the one safety spot and the way that Nigel Warrior's playing at the other safety spot, they're going to go after Warrior. Um, I, I almost guarantee you that they're going to circle 4-18 and 18 on, on the scouting report because uh, you don't want to go after Bryce Thompson too much. He'll burn you. You don't want to go uh, – Theo Jackson's been a playmaker at safety, but – uh, if Georgia goes after a couple of those other guys, uh, I think Georgia could could do some big things there because Tennessee has had some some big holes on the back end, and that's something that if you're having to worry about Swift the whole game and all the things he can do, all of a sudden Fromm just you know keeps the ball in his pocket, throws it over the top. It's a big play. Yeah, and I think if I, if I'm kind of coming at you with with the flip side of that and, and where Tennessee could give Georgia problems. You know, I look at the offensive side, and, and it hasn't been the case in the past two games as much, but Georgia has struggled some with exotic pressures and stunts, uh, you know, guys twisting and, and things like that, the stunt games up front. And, um, you know, that, that may be cleaned up. Sam Pittman may, be, may feel 100% confident about that right now, but it was an issue for the first two games. And uh, that, that's one area where, you know, I know Jeremy Pruitt and, and, the, and the way he coaches defense is, is he, he's, a really, he's a really good defensive mind when it comes to bringing pressure on the quarterback. He did a really good job of it at Georgia. He never really relied on that one pass rusher to try to get there. He would do different things and, and did a really good job of affecting the quarterback. And then when you combine that with the fact that Georgia's got some young receivers 
that is having to really rely on top two receivers on the team this year in terms of yardage are, are, are freshman Dominic Blaylock's number one, George Pickens number two. Uh, put a little heat on Jake Fromm, uh, make those freshmen make quick decisions, and you know you might you might get a mistake. You know, you might get a mistake deep in your you know deep in Georgia territory early in the game is something you can capitalize on and get to feel good about. But that's where it all starts right there. I mean, I think everybody would agree there is Tennessee's got to get something early on in this game that it can feel good about. And that's where I think their best opportunity may be is to maybe get Georgia to break down some in protection and try to create a turnover. And then on offense, when Tennessee has the ball, uh, Tennessee, you know, the the two running backs, Chandler and Gray, are, are both elusive guys. Um, the, they have some power to their games, but really they're – they're elusive is, is what they're they're best at. And Chandler is, is you know, is not he's not in the same class as Swift, but he is just as fast. And um if Ty Chandler uh gets behind you, you're probably not gonna catch him. That's probably a touchdown. So you have to watch out for him. Uh but but with Tennessee, the main thing you have to do if you're trying to uh contain Tennessee uh, on offense and you're seeing teams do this, uh don't be surprised if Georgia doesn't blitz a lot in this game because a lot of people, even Florida, which always blitzes a lot, did not blitz a lot. Uh, because what teams are doing is they're rushing three or four and they're dropping everybody else back and they're they're giving Garantano time to think about stuff and, and they're having success with that. So uh, I would look for them to continue doing some of that stuff. And, and what that also does is that helps you bracket some of Tennessee's receivers because that's where Tennessee can really hurt you is throwing 50-50 balls downfield to Jennings, Callaway, and Palmer. Um, because there's nothing about a 50-50 ball when those guys go up for it. I mean, they're all 6'3", you know, 210 plus. They're big, strong, physical guys, and, and they'll go up and, and get the ball and high point it and make plays. Uh, and, and that's why if Tennessee can do anything on the ground uh, to kind of make teams kind of step up into the box and they can get more one-on-one matchups in the back, get those teams out of zone coverage, get those teams into, you know, kind of some, some, some man-on-man stuff, if they can do that, they'll be a lot better on offense. Um, but – uh, you know, it's just interesting to me because a lot of people used to bring the heat against Garantano last season. Now Georgia State kind of opened up this big Pandora's box of of people going, wait, let's not blitz him, let's drop back and make him make decisions, and, and that is something that 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 does that's been hurting Tennessee a lot. So I know Georgia's got a pretty good pass rush. I know it's got a lot of size in that front seven, but um, it'll be interesting to me to see how they how they you know, kind of go after that because they have the personnel to bring lots of heat on Garantano if they want to. But I don't know if that's the best thing to do because other people are having success doing other things. And, you know, this is a copycat league. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, how, how much pressure they might want to bring? You know, I, I know that that uh, Havoc and, and putting pressure on the quarterback has been their thing uh, for – you know, all off season, and I, it hasn't necessarily resulted in you know a ton of blitzing. I think that more than anything, they've wanted to do a better job of of maybe pinning their ears back in some situations, and and they play the percentages pretty heavily. I mean, Georgia's not coming after the quarterback on first and second down a whole lot. They're controlling gaps. They're playing two gap stuff. They're worried about striking the offensive lineman in front of them, building a wall at the line of scrimmage, and and uh, making the running back kind of have to search for a hole so that the pursuit can get there and, and create a negative play that way. But they've been a little bit more aggressive on on second second and passing situations and third and passing situations. So I, I I do think though that that with with uh, Jared's uh, his his athleticism and and like what you're pointing out the fact that. He has kind of struggled when teams have thrown out the umbrella and, and made him make decisions and find windows and, and go through his reads that, that they're not opposed to doing that. They did that a little bit with Ian Book. They were worried about Ian Book's ability to run the football, and you saw a lot, especially with the edge guys, where 
you know, Georgia was kind of bull rushing to a spot and then just kind of waiting on him, uh, feeling confident that they could cover in the back half. And Georgia's secondary is really good. Even with the injuries, Georgia's secondary is probably the best one I've covered uh, since 2012 when, when they had Bakari Rambo and Sean Williams and Sanders it, it, coming. It is a good group. And, and yeah. Swan. It's a good group. It, it really is. And they're, they're a big group. They, they tackle well. I think that's that's important. You know, they're going to get Eric Stokes back, who was injured on the first drive against Notre Dame, returned for the last two drives. Uh, he's been battling a knee injury. Tyson Campbell is going to be doubtful. But but I do think with Richard LeCount, they're really good at nickel. They got two uh, impact players in, in uh, Mark Webb and, and Devod Wilson, who really showed up in that Notre Dame game as a really good player. And DJ Daniel, junior college transfer, who was originally committed to South Carolina and flipped to Georgia a little later in the process, has, has played well at his cornerback position. He's, he's a freak show when, it, when you talk about length and speed. I mean, he is a really talented football player but uh you know the matchup I look at though that I think Tennessee can exploit is I know for a fact Jim Chaney uh all that Brian Niedermeyer that entire offensive staff has watched that Notre Dame game and they saw what Cole Komet did against Georgia's defense yeah. now Georgia did a really good job in the second half of holding the kid to two catches but in the first half I mean he went off I mean he really did he, he ended up with nine for 108 and a touchdown and uh you know, Dominic Wood Anderson is is maybe a better athlete. I mean, I, that that may be hard to think about if you're a Georgia fan, but he is a he's a very good athlete. And yeah, he's I, I'll, I'll, stop, I'll stop you there, Jake. He's six four two seventy. Uh, he's six four two seventy and uh, runs the the uh, forty in less than four point seven seconds. So yeah. yeah, he's a he's a heck of an athlete. Yeah, big time athlete. So that's where I think that, that they may be able to get some chunk plays off of Georgia. Now I'll, I'll say this. Georgia adjusted, and they adjusted really well to uh, to Cole Komet. So it might be a situation where, you know, Georgia's waiting on that, and, and they've kind of self-scouted themselves, and they're ready for that matchup. But they better be, because I think that's the one area that you point to where Georgia has actually shown some weakness. Now, obviously, you've got, you know, like you said, those wide receivers out there, and, and ones that Georgia fans are really familiar with, Juan Jennings uh, and, and, you know, Josh Palmer and, and uh, Marquez Callaway. Uh, with him being from the state of Georgia and everything, they're they're familiar with those dudes. So those guys can go up and make 50-50 catches against anybody. So I don't think it's really a, a, a revelation that that you say they can hurt them there. But then it all goes back to what you said: quarterback play. And and can can Jarek Guarantano be the kind of guy that can get it out there and and make the right decisions and go the right place with the football, or is he going to give Georgia a couple breaks early on and and put Tennessee on its heels right away? Well, Jake, uh, before before we uh, step out of here, I, I know that I guess we're we'll release this thing at least we will from our side probably Wednesday night, Thursday morning, one of the two things as soon as I can get this thing kind of cleaned up and, and tossed out there. But uh, do do you see you know how long do you think in this game that Tennessee will keep things interesting? Do do you think that I mean I think we're both predicting a Georgia win. Stop the presses, you know. I, I think we're both I think we're both saying that. Um, but you know what what are you thinking? you know, vaguely in terms of a score right now. And you don't have to give the, you know, I know that we, we hold our final score predictions on GoBots 24-7 until Friday morning, um, but whatever you want to say about what kind of game you think it might be. I think Jeremy Pruitt, when he meets with his team at halftime, is is talking about needing some things to go right for them in the second half to to have a chance to win that game. I think it's, the, I think it's close enough there. Um, you know, I'm thinking something along the lines of 21-10, or or maybe 17-7, 21-7, somewhere in that, still in it, but but you know, 
probably pretty clear that that Georgia is just a little deeper and a little bit more talented. And I think Georgia pulls away in the second half. I, 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 I don't. The the line, I tell you what, the line on this game has been a great Vegas line because it's one that if it was 21 points, I think I would probably feel pretty good about it. But then you start to get up there around 24, 25. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I'm not much of a – I really don't bet on college football a lot. I, I like to bet on, bet on NFL football uh, from time to time. But um, it, it, this one's tough to read of whether Georgia covers or not. But but I do think Georgia kind of pulls away and, and takes the game over a little bit in the second half. And, and I think they do it on the back of their defense. I think the defense is probably the most glaring matchup in, in Georgia's favor in this game because I do think – I just have such a high opinion of that of that uh, Tennessee defensive staff because I've seen all those guys do such a good job with my own eyes and and you know through sources and everything else of hearing how good of coaches they are and I've had so many people speak highly of them that I think they're going to be okay and come in with a good plan on defense but I think it's the, the it's Georgia's defense that's going to like you said that that boa constrictor type effect is just this slowly and slowly but surely type tighten its grip and, and take over the game, and that's going to benefit the offense in a big way, and, and Georgia pulls away in the second half. And uh, one other uh, kind of fun subplot from this game uh, that I don't I don't know if it's been talked about um, a lot is, I mean, I'm sure it hasn't from, from Tennessee's side, um, but this will be, uh, I guess, Cade May's first trip back to Knoxville uh, since he uh, left uh, school and, and decided to go to – he'd been committed to Tennessee for a long time, um, but then his dad just, I don't think, wanted him to play for Butch Jones, and so he he flips and commits to Georgia, and then Pruitt didn't have enough time to kind of convince him otherwise. He's gone down there and been a, been a nice player already for Georgia. He's a guy who's going to be um, – you know, going to be a big-time player. If he stays healthy, he could play in the league for a long time. Uh, but in that game, his younger brother, Cooper Mays, who's also at Knoxville Catholic, which, full disclosure, uh, I did go to, to school there. It is, uh, and it's turned into quite the football factory now with putting all these D1 kids out. But, you know, uh, Cooper Mays, his younger brother, is a Tennessee commitment and will be there in the stands. So you're going to have Cooper Mays and his dad, who, who one played for Tennessee, the other one's about to play for Tennessee, in the stands watching a game where Cade, their you know their son slash brother, is playing for Georgia and probably getting booed every time he steps on the field. So that is going to be a really kind of fun subplot, I think, for Saturday's game too. Absolutely, and and Eli Wolf has already told us yep. that uh, that Ethan is going to be rooting for for Tennessee. Uh, so he he's not going to have uh, Georgia's not going to steal a fan that way from Tennessee this week. And then you've also got another one going on there too, is Ezo Jalari is, uh, is Georgia's yep. number one Jack linebacker and his brother's committed to Tennessee as well. BJ. So there's some houses divided over this one. For sure. You got houses divided. You got people who have coached for both staffs, uh, both ways. You know, you got a couple guys from at least a couple guys from each staff who have been at the other place. So uh, a lot of uh, familiarity uh, and I'll, I'll say this regarding the word familiarity. Uh, I think the only thing that Bush Jones and Jeremy Pruitt have in common is that neither pronounces the word familiarity correctly. Um, you know, other than that, they're, they're pretty much polar opposites. Um, but Jay, before we before we step out of here, uh, when are you heading up this weekend? Because I'm telling you, I I would have wanted uh, to to take the dogs 24 seven staff out for a for a bite and a brew, but uh, I'll be at a wedding Friday night in Nashville. I won't be getting back in town until about two or three a.m. Maybe Saturday morning. So uh, I, I won't be there until uh, won't be there until before the game Saturday. But uh, when are you, when are you heading up? What's on your agenda? Well, thoughts and prayers go out to your Cubbies. Uh, but uh, yeah, due that's Atlanta playoff baseball. What, I'm going to try is to get north of SunTrust Stadium by one o'clock uh, so that I don't get, have to deal with what may ensue 
right there at the at the crest of uh, of, of I two eighty five and seventy five. I don't tend to take the scenic route up. I, I will every now and then if I get a wild hair, but uh, no, it's the only one I take, man. That's the only one I take. I, I love that trip. Yeah, I, I kind of like it too, but it usually takes me a lot longer because I, I'm always driving by myself and I don't want to die on the side of a mountain in Appalachia. Okay. I just, it's just not my thing. You know, I'd rather go in a swamp and get eaten by some alligators down in South Georgia than I had just, you know, die somewhere where <laughs> nobody can hear or see me. Uh, but that, that's kind of what I, what I worry about, about driving those hills and, and doing all that stuff. And so, uh, I'm going to be headed that way sometime around then, staying in Oak Ridge because I try to stay at Hilton Properties. There's a double tree there, and and I like the double tree chocolate chip cookies. They're really awesome. There you go. Uh, and and so I'm I'm a Hilton guy. I, I kind of get scoffed at it as a media member because everybody's Marriott. And that I had to that, 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 that is true. We're married. We're married. The whole Govals 24/7 staff is Marriott guys for <laughs> I sure. Figured, I figured my uh, my man Gentry Gentry Estes, uh, our good friend, is oh, also yeah. a Marriott guy. So is Seth Emerson over at the Athletic. So. Uh, I get kind of I get kind of poked at a little bit from time to time uh, for for being a Hilton guy, but but I, I just did, I tell you what, man, I have a hard time beating those double tree chocolate chip cookies. Maybe I just got my priorities wrong. And I'll tell you, if you're if you're a Georgia fan heading up to Knoxville for the weekend, one safe travels, uh, have a have a have a good trip. Uh, whether you take the scenic route or you head straight up I seventy five or wherever you're coming from, I know there's some Georgia fans who who live in Knoxville and East Tennessee. Also, it's a metro area of a million people, so there's definitely going to be some Georgia grads and fans who who live here. Uh, so happy trails uh, to everyone coming up here for that hope everything goes well uh and i will say this if you're planning a meal uh, around this uh i know there's a tons of places to eat around in, in knoxville uh, i would say uh, a couple places i highly recommend uh, dead end barbecue uh, is, is a really good place uh, yield steakhouse is a really good place and uh also i, I will say that hard knocks pizza is uh, fantastic. It's got some uh, Italian wood-fired kind of pizzas. It's close-ish to campus, and uh, it's uh, it's a really good place. So if you got any thoughts on what kind of where you're staying, what you might want to eat, uh, you know, hit me up on social media. I'll go over there to the board of dogs twenty four seven two. Want to make sure that uh, that you're having a good experience up in Knoxville this weekend. And, and Jake, I'm sorry that I, that I won't be able to take y'all out for a bite this weekend, but uh, I will I will do that at the next opportunity. Hey man, just just uh, I think I speak for the dogs twenty four seven junkyard uh, when I say just quit stealing our water. <laughs> you think I was not not going to mention that? You know, <laughs> I, I, I've been I've, I've been I've had to water my yard every in my because I have like a I, I I'm kind of a nerd about this. I, I I come from a family. There's a bunch of farmers and stuff in my family, so I've got like pretty much every vegetable that exists. Uh, I grow here at home and uh, kind of got a hippie garden out there, and uh, I've had to keep that bad boy watered. Uh, pretty religiously for, for the past couple of weeks. Cause we have not had rain and it's been in the nineties. So uh, don't steal my water and don't steal my vegetables. You got it, man. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Had a really good time doing this. Uh, been talking about doing something like this, uh, at least from the, the go boss 24 seven side. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this. Jake was great as always. And uh, really, really appreciated his time with this. And uh, I hope this is something that we can continue doing in the future if you want you can find all uh, both of us on social media i'm west rucker 24 7 on twitter jake Rowe is row 24 7 on twitter you can find the rest of the go boss 24 7 staff on twitter also at uh, patrick brown 
20, or P Brown 24 7, Grant Ramey, and Ryan Callahan 24 7. You can also go to twitter.com slash govals 24 7 and find us there. You can also find Dogs 24 7 on Twitter at Dogs 24 7. You can also find them and us both on Facebook at facebook.com slash govals 24 7, facebook.com slash dogs 24 7. Or if you want to drink your water directly from the hose, you just want all of it, just, just, just all of this. You can go to govals247.com or you can go to dogs247.com. Get round-the-clock access at both places. Uh, And if you're a Tennessee fan, uh, that's good for you because I I got good news, guys. Basketball season has started. The the Vols are practicing. So maybe some some more enjoyable things to look forward to there. And you know if you're a Georgia basketball fan, hey, they signed a – they got a really good signing class there down there uh, in in that – down there in Athens. So so there's some good things going on there as well. Uh, until then, uh, you can find all of us on social media. You can find all of us on the internet.com, Al Gore's internets at uh, govoss247.com, dogs247.com. And we will have plenty, plenty of coverage of the game before, during, and after it this weekend and beyond. And uh, if you're listening to this as a GoVols 24-7 subscriber, uh, we will see y'all again in just a day or so. And uh, Dogs 24-7, y'all will have another podcast coming up here in a couple days too. So uh, until then, guys, uh, be good. Safe travels to everyone coming to Knoxville this weekend. And uh, we'll see you down the road.